exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and Bowling Writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So, Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson. Well, thank Phantom. you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world for all of your lane maintenance needs, including 24-hour technical support. You can always rely on the Kegel Company. So go to Kegel, not Net. Well, Phantom fans, this week's special guest has been here with us many times before, and he always gives our listeners a lot of valuable information. And over the years, he has coached many top pros and international players. He's been a student of the game for well over 40 years now, and he's developed many of the modern coaching techniques that are currently being taught around the world. He's also known for thinking outside the box in training and helping bowlers of all levels. And known as one of the top ball drillers in the world, he once drilled for the best on Pro Bowlers Tour for over eight years. And all this experience has led him to develop a revolutionary new method of laying out the grip of a bowling ball, which is known as the tri-grip. He has also developed a glove with Storm called the Power Glove, and he was probably the very first person to recognize that the reactive series of bowling balls were absorbing lane oil from the lane. He's always busy learning and teaching, so let's get him out here again and see what he's up to. So, Phantom fans, here's my good buddy, Mr. Bill Hall. Hello, Bill, and welcome back to Phantom Radio. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Um, I'm sure people are probably getting really tired of hearing my voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're being humble because you've said that for the last four or five weeks in a row, and yet I keep getting more and more emails. This time I got some from around the world. Uh, people even know, know you over in Indonesia, Malaysia, all over the place. But uh, let me thank you again for doing what I'm calling a mini-series. Um, the information that you're passing along to our listeners is huge. And the emails are flying in from all over the place. And your info on Norm Duke and, and Danny Wiseman was awesome. And this week, please tell us who... You're going to review for us, okay? Who we got? The one and only Brian Voss. Because, it, man, 
oh, what a game. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you rate these one, two, and three because these three guys are all top-notch over the years and all all-time Hall of Famers. And I remember seeing him for the first time when he came out on the road. And, uh, that's another story, which I'll get to if we have time. But I want to hear you. So let's start with this. What was your first impression on Brian's game when you first saw him bowl? That is a game you look at and you go, that's the complete package. Uh, there's very few players that come out. You, you look at them and you go, okay, they have a really, really good game. But you could see the flaws in the game. And you didn't know whether they would be able to overcome those flaws. Most weren't um, able to overcome them. But with Brian, you really had to look for a flaw. And even after you kept looking, you couldn't find one. I mean, you know, he worked with, if I'm not mistaken, he worked a lot with Ron Hoppy, who's also an incredible coach. Um, he worked a lot with him before he came out on tour. And I know that he did a lot of bowling over in Germany. And I don't know who worked with him over there. But whoever did all that work, and all the commitment and the work that Brian Brian himself did, what an incredible first impression he made on me. Yeah, <laughs> same thing with me. You know, uh, I worked on and off the tour. In fact, I quit that job five times, and each time I'd go back, I'd work in a bowling center, I'd run a bowling center, I'd give lessons, I'd do all kinds of different things because I love the game and I love the sport. And when I'd go back to these bowling centers, everybody thought I knew everything. So anybody wanting to have a lesson, come to me. And after a few lessons, I got a couple of videotapes. I got one of Dave Davis, in case any lefties wanted a lesson. And then I got one of Brian Voss. And if I got a righty, I'd say, bowl like this. If I got a lefty, I'd say, bowl like that. You know, and I tried to get him to copy these guys' basic fundamentals. But you're right, Brian was awesome. But... Uh, you know, when, when you had conversations and you spoke with Brian, did you have to spend, uh, speak to him in a different way than others? And if so, how was it different? You know, with each player, I speak with them differently. Like with, um, no matter what, with Norm, it was more about we would relate things to golf because there's a lot of motions in golf that are actually the same as the motions in bowling. Uh, with Danny Wiseman, it was always a variety of things, mainly baseball, because he's a huge baseball fan, and uh, race car driving and talking about balances and movements. Uh, with Brian, believe it or not, I come from a background of a military family. I was raised in a military family. So we would use some of the things that they would do with training in military and we would relate to them in the same type of way, but we would convert it from military motions and military uh, jargon into bowling jargon. So when you, whenever you approach players or a player approaches you, one of the things you can't do is speak to everybody the same way. They each have their own little thing that can trigger them. So 
it was never any different, and but it was the most enjoyable speaking with Brian because I come from a military background. My father was a drill sergeant. You can only imagine that upbringing. Um, <laughs> so when it came down to discipline and everything like that, I knew exactly how to speak with him. And the same comes with other players. You know, there's you've got to delve into uh, how to reach them in a way that they can relate to you, not you relate to them. They have to be able to relate to you. And one of those is to find something that you have knowledge about that you can work with them in a familiar surrounding so that they can understand where you're coming from, what your goals are, and how you're going to get there. Well said. You know, um, I was working in the PBA office at the time when Brian uh, joined the tour. And being in the office, uh, if you wanted to join the tour, you you filled out an ap application, and then they'd put it on a ballot, and they'd send the ballot around to all the regional directors uh, with a ballot, about maybe 40 or 50 new members, to see if anybody knew these guys and if they had any outstanding debts to anybody or, and all that. So you'd get these these ballots and have some information. And back in the you know early 80s when Brian came aboard, uh, scores were starting to elevate and there was a lot of uh, urethane was being used and scores were getting really high. And there'd be guys joining the PBA with a 230 average, 228, 226, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, I saw this name and it stood out to me because I'd never heard of this guy before, Brian Voss. And he had a 190 average, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, this poor guy, he's joining the PBA. He's only got a 190, and I can't wait to see him. But uh, a few weeks went by, and the tournament started out, and I ran down. The, I saw him in the practice session. His name was there, and I ran down, and this guy was beautiful. I said, 190? Where'd he learn how to bowl? And then I found out later he learned how to bowl in Alaska, Germany, all around the world, but he developed a beautiful game that wasn't based on scores. So I know you've got stories, but let me ask one more question before we even get into a story. But what were some of the keys that you worked on when you started working with Brian? It, there was very, I mean, literally, there was very little to talk to him about, about his physical game. I mean, of course, if you had an issue or anything like that, but, you know, there was very, very little, you know, like, hey, Brian, I need you to learn how to do this or, you know, this and this and this. Um, before we get to another part of this, if you want to watch somebody that had the beautiful, what I call a one-two swing, where it goes back in a nice, even pace and it comes through at the speed of the feet. So the the speed of the swing and the speed of the feet, it, there was never a flaw in there. He may have trouble getting the rhythm started, but that was a different issue. But if you want to learn and watch something that you should emulate instead of jerking it back and then jerking it through, let me tell you what. Um, that would be with... Mr. Brian Voss, because there was nothing you, you know, you, you pick a, a player that is, there was just no flaw in it, but mainly what, you know, and I have to attribute a lot of this to uh, you, 
um, Larry Lickstein, Mr. John Jowdy, Mr. Earl Anthony. You know, it's like some of the terminology has changed over the year. Before, I mean, I'm sure you remember when we'd sit in the stands, we would call it lane shape, which is now known as topography. We just had a different terminology back then. It's basically the same exact thing, but we're dealing with wood and different multiple different surfaces where now it's kind of very much, you know, you're dealing with basically overall three, two to three surfaces and they're all synthetic. So one of the things that we really, really worked on was how to read all that lane shape topography and understanding where the where you could and could not play regardless of the oil pattern. And so the main thing I worked with Brian on was how to play the game, um, understanding that, you know, again, what I learned from everybody else is that the main goal is to knock down pins. It's like I get a little frustrated with this recent thing. You know, someone can go five, nine counts in a row. Then they change balls. And they say, they say, well, you know, I got, and they start striking. They say, oh, I got a great ball reaction. No, you got a great pin reaction. Isn't that the goal? The pins were telling you they didn't like what was there before. Now they're telling you they agree. So it's it comes down to pin reaction. And really, that's a lot about what I talked to Brian about and one thing that people don't know, and maybe they should, man, was he a ballaholic. And what I mean by that is he would throw it and he was kind of like, this is how smart he was. He, There's very few players that could, you know, you got like a Norm Duke, a Danny Wiseman, and I'll use the more current names, uh, you know, Brian Voss, and you got a Dalmani and you've got a few others they throw a ball or two and they put it away and they give it away. I don't know exactly what they see, but that comes down to the relationship of their feel and what the ball does. And Brian would take a ball, throw it several times, and then either it would go in his arsenal or it would be put on the rack. <laughs> and that's one thing that I don't know if you could teach somebody that, but you know, they know immediately whether that ball does what they felt or if it's going against what they felt. <laughs> you know, that that phrase also is being used in other sports. Uh, they talk about quarterbacks and they talk about some of the greatest hitters and some of the great basketball players. Their IQ of that particular sport is just one or two degrees above everybody else. And and Brian was definitely intelligent. Uh, he was a disciplined guy. I know that for a fact. He per persevered like nobody's business. He never, ever complained about the lanes. He knew they were going to be different from pair to pair, day to day. And he accepted that. In fact, he, he really would prefer the lanes to be different because that would give him an advantage. He hated it when the high, scores were high, but, you know, that, that put everybody in the same ballpark. He didn't want to be in the same ballpark. He made better shots. But, Pards, you know, I got a bunch of questions, and 
I want to save some time for maybe a story or two from you about Brian, because not only do the listeners, they love the stories and all that, uh, and they, they want to hear the tips, but they want to hear some of the things that were funny about these guys over the years to humanize them a little bit. But before we get to that point, uh, let me ask you this one more question. What were some of the things that you learned from Brian? Man, um, if if you want if you want to emulate somebody that really, I mean, you could do an overlay of one on top of another, and every single shot looked the same. Um, the things that I learned from him was he also had that same thing. And I know we've discussed it before, soft feet. And when his feet weren't feeling right, I would notice that he'd kind of like not look down, but he really wouldn't look at anything. And his eyes were out on the lanes, but he wasn't staring at something. He was just more or less feeling what his body was doing. So that was the first time that I've ever really, his focus was so good that you could actually see him trying to get back to the field that he knew that he needed. So I knew how, how strong he was with his understanding of his physical game. And he really triggered me into getting people to understand that you better understand your physical game before you can work about anything around you. And his focus on what he could do physically was something that I'll never forget that when I watched him do it, and I watched him do it in Toledo, Ohio, he just wasn't bowling good. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't good. And you could see him just kind of feeling his way through it. And the other thing I learned from him is when he was struggling, again, he never really struggled, struggled, because he's got a phenomenal physical game. Um, but you would watch him and his discipline behind the approach. Here's what I mean by that. He would throw a shot, and it just wasn't what he was looking for, whether he struck or didn't strike. He would go back after his frame, and he would not sit down. He would basically emulate everything about his physical game in slow motion behind the approach in the settee area over and over and over again. And he wouldn't do it in a forceful way. But it made me realize you can learn as much about yourself behind the approach during competition and then you, as much as you can on the approach during competition. So by the time he was done with a block, the guy was just physically and emotionally exhausted because he gave it everything he had from the moment the lights turned on. There was Brian Voss, the competitor. But he used and utilized every moment during that block or that competition to hone his skills, whether he had a ball in his hand or didn't have a ball in his hand. Yeah, you, you can bowl mentally as well as you can physically. You, know, you can see yourself going through the motions. Uh, <laughs> you know, I want to get this one story in because 
if I forget it, I'm going to slap myself. But uh, one time, uh, and this doesn't really mean anything about bowling, but uh, Norm and Brian, they were into playing golf. We got to Florida. They'd always like to go out and play at least one time a week. Well, one day they were on B squad and they came to me and says, after we get done, you want to go play. And, uh, we got a we got a freebie out here at the country club. I said sure. So I was all ready. They got all done. They got done at three thirty. They had to be back at six thirty uh, to bowl their second block. So it only gave us three hours. And I thought, wow, we better hurry up, run through this. And we got to the golf course, and they were both playing really well. Well, we go to the back nine. It's starting to get dark. And I says, hey, you guys, you got to go back and bowl. I know, but we got to finish this nine. Why is that? Well, uh, we'll tell you later. Okay. So we get to about 16. It's pitch black, Billy. It's pitch black. I can't see a, a foot in front of me. I says, what are you going to do now? Well, we listened to hear where it went. You know, what? Well, we can tell if we hit it on the screws or not, if it went to the left or went to the right. And they ran through the last two holes, par, par, in the pitch black. And I'm not going to say these guys are pro golfers. But they were pretty good. But that's how much determination they had. They didn't want to quit when they were both playing pretty good <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> True story. That that definitely sums up those two in a nutshell. You want to talk about a great friendship. They had a phenomenal friendship, both on and off the lanes. And, you know, that's... They drove each other to be better and better and better and better. And it didn't matter whether it was on the golf course or off the golf course, on the lane or off the lanes. And that's something that really, you know, you see a, a great friendship like that that yep. developed. And that's one that... You know, I'm sure they harassed each other on the side when one made the finals and one didn't, or if they both made the finals, and I'm sure there was a side bet or two on the side for the game <laughs> yep. against each other. Um, so, you know, but those, it's important that you have somebody with you that if you're going to be on the road that isn't a complainer, that is really looking to unlock the answers and to better themselves. And, you know, you could see that relationship with Norm and Brian, and it was a great thing to witness. It really was. Yeah, we were so lucky to be around when they were in their prime. And I, I love talking about them. I love looking back. I love just having the opportunity to be around those guys, Pards, and, and having you review all this kind of stuff. And, we got another week of this. I got about 40 more questions. We're not going to have time to do all those, but you say around the phone because I'm going to get a hold of you. We're going to do this again next week. And uh, the old clock on the wall does tell me we're about out of time. And you have one quick story you want to tell or you want to save it for next week? Oh, no, I'll tell it right now. <laughs> all right, let's go. <laughs> I got plenty of them. Um, we were in Florida, and funny you brought that up. Um, we, Brian, uh, was close to the cup. What people don't know is if you, if you made the top 24, you usually got done about three 30, which didn't give you much time to go back to the room 
get cleaned up and come back and, you know, eat and, and start the, the top 24 because it started on Thursday night. Yep. And um, Brian was near the cut. <clears throat> and he hung around. And out of nowhere, he appears with this lawn chair. And he, we've got the truck and there's a little patch of grass. Well, Brian gets his lawn chair sitting outside. He's sunbathing. And he's got, a, at that time, we have the beat boxes. And uh, he's listening to music. And he's just going to kind of relax right there. Well, he didn't make the cut. But he made one hell of a party out on that patch of grass. Next thing I know, <laughs> there are all kinds of people hanging out in the patch of grass and they're sitting there. Next thing I know, a keg of beer shows up. Next thing I know, there's a whole bunch of women and other bowlers out there. <laughs> there were probably as much partying going on in there, out, out there, than there, as there was going on inside the bowling center. And it's just kind of an, the way that he has that personality. He has that way about him that he just did, you know, I want to relax for a minute. And the next thing you know, there was a party going on outside. They all had a great time. I have no idea what time it finished because we had to draw balls uh, for the top 24 after they got done. And then I was too tired. I went back to the hotel room. <laughs> but it's just, you know, out of nowhere how he could just throw something together. Just Brian having a good time. Exactly. Everybody liked to be around him. He was a fun guy. <laughs> and uh, he was very serious when he had the ball in his hand on the way to the foul line. But after bowling, man, you could go out and have a good time with Brian, whether it's playing golf or going to a theater or going to another bar, whatever he wanted to do. Like I said, he never complained. He was just a wonderful guy. I miss him. And we're going to talk more about him next week. So you stay tuned to the uh, close to the radio because I'm going to be contacting you and uh, have your phone on your, on your hip because we got to set up another appointment to pre-record, Bard. So you got anything to say when we close? Brian has his, his opinions, and some people attack him for his opinions. A lot of his opinions are right, especially when it comes to the uh, what's going on with bowling and how it's leaning more and more towards an entertainment. It doesn't mean he's wrong. It doesn't mean those with a different opinion are right. What it means is we have different opinions. Boy, you're, you're exactly right there. I see it on Facebook. Uh, they just don't know who they're arguing with us because he's more for the whole entire sport, both recreational and professional. But uh, he's leaning toward the game instead of it being silly that, to make a, you know, a professional game out of it. And I appreciate his talk. But anybody wants to argue with Brian, they better pack a lunch because he knows his stuff. But. I want to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling, also Brad Edelman from the High Roller, and Dave Kowalski, the bowling guru from Michigan. So from Phantom Radio, we'll talk to you again next week for part two of the Brian Ross, Brian Voss story. This is the Phantom. <laughs>